And we're going to be talking about caves. We're in the cave kingdom of the world, it seems like. Dr. Ablins, good morning to you. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Good to have you with us today. One of the big caves in this area that everybody knows about uh, is Snail Shell Cave. Uh, tell us a little about that, because I know that's, that's one that the university is very closely associated with. Snail Shell Cave uh, is, is just a wonderful cave to have uh, close to the MTSU campus in southwestern Rutherford County. Uh, it's inside a southeastern cave conservancy preserve, uh, and it's home to uh, cave creatures uh, that, uh, uh, you know, live in caves and, and pretty much, uh, you know, not, uh, not many other places. Um, the southern cave fish, uh, the Tennessee cave salamander, uh, just wonderful cave life, uh, and it's a, a great place for our Middle Tennessee State University students to visit. Now, with so many caves in the area, uh, you, you have uh, you have a variety of places in which students can visit. What, first of all, why are there so many caves here in Rutherford County? That's a great question. It, it's because of the limestone rock. Uh, that is common just beneath the soil. We have that rock, and we have a pretty good amount of rainfall, uh, and you put those two things together, and over a long amount of time, the earth gets hollowed out, creating these caves. Now, if a student uh, says, I want to learn about caving, I want to learn about geoscience and things of that sort, what would that education enable them to do? Uh, it would enable them to do a whole variety of things. Uh, show caves uh, are part of Tennessee's economy. Those are Tennessee businesses. Uh, there are also opportunities in conservation at state and national parks. Uh, many opportunities to participate in uh, stewardship of the earth uh, and also uh, bringing people uh, to the caves. Uh, so that they can appreciate this wonderful aspect of Tennessee's landscape. Now, in addition to Snail Shell Cave over in Rockvale, uh, there are other caves that we think of. I, one of the caves, I guess, we, that comes to mind foremost is Mammoth Cave up in Kentucky. I understand you're going to be taking a group of students there. I, I, I will take a group of students there. Mammoth Cave uh, has the largest mapped length of any cave in the world. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and it is just, uh, you know, a, a little bit more than a two-hour drive from campus. Uh, so it's my pleasure uh, this fall to take a group of students up there uh, to experience that. Now, somebody told me that, and this could have been a far-fetched tale, that uh, there might be some connections from Rutherford County cave connections all the way up to Mammoth Cave. Could that be possible? Uh, that, that's beyond anything that science knows. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, you know, connections and, and the length of caves and so on, uh, there's something that certain individuals will hold uh, very uh, uh, near and dear to them. 
but you know i prefer to recognize that you know however long these caves are and you know what's connected and what's not connected uh, it's just tremendously wonderful to have these caves uh, and the living things in them you know including the the salamanders and the fish and also bats and you know just a whole variety of living things uh, to, to have them here in our state and adjoining states how does tennessee compare to other states as far as numbers of caves yeah, more, more than any other state in america are you kidding more than no, any more than any uh, uh you know more caves are being discovered all the time uh more length of caves uh you know getting mapped all the time uh but uh as best as people know at this time tennessee has more caves than any other american state it's cave central oh wow uh well, let me ask you this because middle tennessee state university is involved with a very fascinating cave uh, this was a cave that is fascinating and has been discussed on this program many times, and that's Black Cat Cave yes. over by the VA hospital. That was sort of a honky-tonk in the 20s and 30s. Uh, didn't have air conditioning, so people would go there and uh, have fun and uh, live music and what have you. Uh, but it has since been discovered to have something else. What is the real historical attraction to Black Cat Cave? Uh, Black Cat Cave uh, is another one of these caves that's just a a real resource to our community. Um, uh, I I, I have been inside the cave. I have been. I've seen uh, some of uh, what's left over there from the 1920s and 30s, some of the... the, the work uh, inside uh, that was put into that back when it was an entertainment venue uh it's it's just a tremendous cave now it's it's got a prehistoric uh story to it as well uh involving uh uh you know native americans uh, as well as discoveries of animal remains um uh, and uh, you know that part of it uh, I encourage you to, to, you know, as you have in the past, to reach out to other experts. But uh, it, uh, I did have the privilege of going inside many years ago, and uh, you know, yeah, as, exactly as you're saying, uh, you know, there, there's uh, some uh, concrete work in there, and uh, you know, some modifications that were made back when people uh, used to go there to have fun. How far back does that cave, time-wise? How far back does that cave? go uh, as far as historical connections to humans yeah again you'll you'll have to bring in somebody else uh, to really do justice uh, to that story but uh, i gotta tell you as somebody who has actually been inside uh, it was just uh, I- incredible to uh, <laughs> to to see that place that is part of murfreesboro's history uh, including during the 20s and 30s while we're talking about local area caves, I've heard a lot of people talk about the cave that was uh, over behind where the Discovery Center is now located. Th- this is the cave. Rumors have it that uh, the Indian chief Black Fox dove into the water up at uh, Black Fox Springs and uh, swam underground. It's a good story <laughs> to get away from uh, Andrew Jackson, who was here with a hunting party. Uh, and have you seen that cave? Have you explored that cave? I've heard a lot of people I, say they've been in it. Yeah, I, I have personally not explored that cave, but one thing I, uh, I'll definitely that, that I've definitely noticed about that story 
um, is that those who tell it are demonstrating knowledge that uh, caves and springs are connected. Uh, and that is an important connection to make around here. Uh, it's important for uh, stewardship uh, to our landscape uh, and our natural areas uh, that there are connections uh, and that uh, what happens uh, at uh, the mouth of a cave uh, or at a sinkhole uh, could affect a spring uh, some distance away uh, with uh, travel uh, from the mouth of the cave uh, through a cave stream um, to a spring. Uh, the connection is hidden underground, uh, but there are connections there. Now, you mentioned the word sinkhole. Sinkholes are in the news quite a bit. We've heard of along the interstate uh, over in neighboring Coffee County. People were driving down the interstate a few years back, and a sinkhole appeared right in the interstate. Fortunately, nobody drove into it. Another right. one in the news was up around uh, the Corvette Museum in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I know you've heard that story. H- huge story, yes. Uh, are sinkholes and caves, are, are, are those two synonymous together? And, and is that sort of the bad edge of the sword, so to speak? Uh, yeah, in, you know, in an English class sense, uh, they're not synonyms, uh, but there are connections. Uh, and uh, we, that is an aspect of living uh, in this part of the country, um, uh, you know, being careful um, to uh, avoid constructing uh, in sinkholes to the extent that that's possible, you know, working with professionals who understand the landscape and understand sinkholes and such, uh, working with them uh, to uh, hopefully avoid problems up front uh, you, you just uh, mentioned a couple of spectacular examples uh, of what uh, people seek to avoid uh, in this kind of landscape. Obviously, it's hard to know that they're there. I don't think the people at the Corvette Museum uh, would have built where they have their museum if they had known that there was a cavern below it and a, you know, a whole group of, of those classic cars went tumbling down one one. Uh, one middle of the night, I guess it was. Uh, it was interesting. They did capture it on surveillance video there in the museum. So you could actually see the floor open up and the cars go tumbling down. I know. Uh, it, 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 it's incredible. And, and uh, I think one of the good things about that is, you know, that it does encourage people to recognize this is something that, that we need to be careful to live with. Now, in terms of spotting sinkholes, Um, There are advanced technologies that can help with that. Um, There's something called light detection and ranging, or LIDAR. Uh, It's essentially laser range finding. Uh, An aircraft flies back and forth over the landscape uh, and shoots a laser beam down at the surface, allowing uh, the very detailed mapping of the elevations of the land and with that kind of technology, technology that has been employed uh, in uh, this part of the world, Rutherford County, within the last five years, uh, it is possible to spot in the landscape uh, even very gentle depressions uh, and to 
take that information to uh, the professionals and the experts who know about this sort of thing uh, and, uh, you know, help uh, spot problems before they develop and, and help uh, contend with any problems that have started to develop. Fortunately, we don't have a lot of catastrophic collapse in Tennessee itself, you know, like what happened up in Kentucky, but we do have sinkholes and, and we do have some, some slow subsidence uh, over time. Uh, as well as some other uh, potential sinkhole-related problems. So I guess these are areas in which students who choose to study uh, the geosciences uh, program at MTSU, uh, they would be taught in these areas and could be very productive uh, business people. That, that, that's correct. Yes, that, that, that's exactly right. You began all of this by asking, well, you know, students learn about this, then what do they do with it? And I, I gave a few examples. But yes, more broadly, you know, you, you get into cave science, um, uh, spelunking, speleology, caving, uh, as many of the enthusiasts call it. Uh, you, you get into this sort of thing. Uh, and there are a lot of possibilities, you know, like helping people live in a landscape that has sinkholes uh, that uh, pr- provide good jobs and also uh, allow the students uh, to do good uh, and uh, to help others live with this landscape. Very definitely. Now, for people who are hearing this and thinking, I would like to learn more about that at MTSU, what do they need to do? Uh, just Google MTSU Geosciences, uh, and it'll take you right to the MTSU Geosciences Department. Um, uh, and uh, through the Geosciences Department, it's possible to learn more about all aspects of the Earth. We have degree programs uh, in both geosciences and environmental sciences. Uh, it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful range of opportunities for those who want to get involved uh, in understanding the earth, being good stewards of the earth, uh, and also, uh, you know, ultimately uh, getting into some great careers. Very definitely. Dr. Mark Abelins, a geosciences professor at Middle Tennessee State University, our guest in this segment. Thank you for sharing fascinating information. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. It was my pleasure. On Thursday, WGNS visited the Tennessee Highway Patrol after learning that there is currently a shortage of manpower. Approximately 100 state troopers need to be hired within the upcoming months. WGNS's Scott Walker has the story. I'm Matt Perry, I'm the Colonel of the Highway Patrol. There's eight districts in the Highway Patrol and then a handful of specialized units. I oversee all of them. How did you start as a state trooper? I was actually a deputy in Williamson County and then I became a road trooper in Williamson County. My father was a trooper before me, so I kind of knew that that's where I was going uh, when the time was right. And then I rose through the ranks. I was appointed Colonel this past December. So when there's a big situation and you have to call out multiple troopers, do you usually go to the scene or are you usually behind the scenes? I'm usually behind the scenes. I work out of our headquarters quarters here in Nashville and you know if it's a large scene or like the Christmas Day bombing I went straight to Nashville. If it's big scenes like that I'll show most of the time I'm behind the scenes. What are some of the more interesting things you've seen over the years? Every time I get asked this question I can't really answer it in the moment but the worst things I've been to 
two are fatal crashes involving children. Those are terrible. And most troopers have to experience those events. But things like the bombing in Nashville, I can't describe what it looked like. And I'm born and raised here in Middle Tennessee. I spent a lot of time in Nashville. And to see Second Avenue the way it was was shocking. Uh, tornadoes, uh, the destruction they do, I mean, those are, are terrible terrible things. What are some of the biggest problems today in Tennessee as far as crime? The biggest problems that pertain to us are, are really the roadway. Since the pandemic, speeds seem to be up. Less people have been on the streets. Now traffic volume is picking up, but it seems like speeds are still high. So I think that's our biggest concerns. People slowing back down, recognizing that there's a lot more people on the road, wearing your seatbelt, staying off your cellular device while you're driving. Those are the biggest issues for us. Since the start of the pandemic, has there been an increase in DUI-related arrest? No. I would say we've probably had a little bit of a decrease, not, not intentionally, but we have encouraged troopers, certainly in the beginning, to use caution, use discretion. So sometimes at its height, we were encouraging high visibility, not to stop every vehicle like you normally would. You know, there's always people speeding on the road. There's always a reason to stop cars, but we, we tried to use a little bit more of a, call it a high visibility technique where we're out there on the side of the interstate on the roadways. Visible but not necessarily engaging as much. Now, there's a little bit of a drop, but probably not not a massive one. But we're back out in full force now, as much as we can. That's why we're having today's event. We're probably 100 troopers short right now. You know, we want to do everything we can to get qualified, good applicants in. What is your name and title? My name is Andrew Perez, and I'm a state trooper with the Tennessee Highway Patrol. What do you do each day? I'm assigned to the Nashville District. We cover several counties here surrounding Davidson County, and uh, my daily functions include traffic crash investigations, criminal investigations, enforcement of traffic and uh, criminal laws, and uh, assisting motorists. Over the years, we've heard a lot about drug trafficking between places like Memphis and Nashville, Nashville and Atlanta. How big of a problem is that where they're trafficking drugs from one large city to the next? It is a pretty prominent problem. Um, I-40 is a main drug corridor from uh, the west coast to the east coast. As you know, 40 connects from the east coast to the west coast. There's a lot of drugs that move up and down the interstate every day, every hour of the day, every minute of the day. When you're watching cars go by, what gives you a sign that, you know, hey, this one, something's not right about it? Well, there's a lot of specialized training that goes into that. A lot of it is changes in driver behavior is, uh, is a main indicator. Uh, obvious traffic violation, something that just isn't normal that the, the general motoring public may not do. What is your name and title? Trooper Matthew Priest with the Tennessee Highway Patrol, Nashville District, Davidson County. Tell us what you do every day. Not every day, but four days out of the week, I ride this lovely Harley Davidson make lots of friends, try and change driving habits, correct them, make them a little bit better, just be friendly to the public. You uh, you mind if I ride the motorcycle? You drop it, you pick it up though, that's the deal. It's kind of heavy. Uh, okay, so, so are you on the interstates? Are you on the highways? Where, where do you usually ride? Anywhere and everywhere, sir, but mostly recently on the interstate. During school time, I try and hit school zones to help slow down traffic and the school zones to help kids cross from one side of the road to the other, help uh, crossing guards. Then after that, I typically try and hit the interstate 65, 24, 40, I-440, anything around Nashville. What's one of the more unique things you've come across, maybe an arrest you've made, if you look back over the years? 
Uh, every day is different, so every day it kind of changes up a little bit. Unique-wise, just young generation with their cell phones, to tell you the truth, that's changed over the last 10 years that I've been doing it. Have you run across many people driving intoxicated in school zones? Not recently. When you say under the influence, it would be more drug-related than alcohol-related right now. People on opioids. So that would be the biggest problem right now, you think? Biggest problem is people with cell phones in my personal opinion of what I come across. If you talk to somebody that works more in the evening, they might say something differently, but typically my main time is during rush hours, school time, the evening rush hour traffic. That's normally when I'm out. In recent years, a lot of new laws have come about, one being with cell phones and one specifically cell phones in school zones. What happens when you are caught on your cell phone in the school zone. You're given a citation and you're given the option to either satisfy that citation or appear in court to do traffic school. And it's all based off the county because every county is a little bit different. Davidson, they offer several different levels of traffic school if you're eligible to take that. Do you ever come across those who are racing on the street? Because I know that used to be an issue. Uh, it still is an issue for Metro Nashville. Occasionally they've reached out to us. We did some operations, I want to say right before 2019, right before COVID, uh, helping out with that. I personally, they really didn't want me on the motorcycle because that would put me at a greater risk dealing with that. They would put me in a car. We did attempt a few operations like that late at night on Fridays and Saturdays. Tendencies were that they were leading that way, mostly racing during the night on those two days. And then that's why we would use that particular vehicle right over there, the ghost car, to also help deter that. There were a lot of street races near the Titans training facility a couple years back. Was that something that really turned out to be true? The media outlets were covering that. They were also doing it on I-24 and I-65 around the same time too, sir. Any crazy cars you came across? Ferraris, Lamborghinis in those races? No, sir. I couldn't catch them if I tried. <laughs> I would say mostly it was uh, Dodges, Fords, a few Hondas that were modified. How are y'all not sweating today? I feel oh, like I've been swimming. You sweat, but after the years, you just get accustomed to it. It's rolling. Yeah. Tell me your name and what you do. Uh, I'm Shane Stafford. I'm the captain and director of the Highway Patrol Training Division. What goes on during the first couple of days of training? It's chaotic. Uh, it's organized chaos, though. Everything that we do out there, it's got a meaning. It's got a purpose. We want to have well-disciplined people that have a high ability to take stress, be able to think under stress, and be able to serve the people. When we have to deal with somebody out on the roadside, very often it's one of the most most extenuating circumstances of their life. You know, for them, it may be the worst time in their life. Uh, or if we have to go deliver a death notification, if we have to deal with somebody that's injured. You know, those are trying times for people and we want good, solid candidates. We want good, solid troopers that, that will be able to, to go out and do what needs to be done to handle that situation. I remember boot camp. It wasn't fun. So how does this compare to actual boot camp in the military? It is similar. We are a paramilitary organization, but I would, I would say that you know we, we still strive to have a human side to it. We want to teach people to deal with people. I think you heard the major say, you know, to be empathetic. We understand that people make mistakes. People find themselves in a harmful way, and we want to be able to try and help them in that situation. But at the same time, with us being the organization that we're training troopers from essentially Memphis to Bristol, and so if 
a same or similar incident happens in Bristol, Jackson, Memphis, Chattanooga, wherever it happens at, we want everybody to be treated the same. We want it to be effective and consistent. When you apply to become a trooper and when you go to the school, do you know going into the school what you're going to be doing once you get out? Generally, everybody's going to start out as a road trooper. So, I mean, you've got to go into it with the mindset that you're going to be working the road, you're going to be in a marked unit, you're going to be serving the people, and we'll do that for the whole career. None of us are ever beyond being a road trooper. You know, now we all may do something that's more specialized or it may be something that uh, is more unique, possibly. But at the same time, at the end of the day, we're all a road trooper and we can all fill that role at any given minute. What sets the Highway Patrol apart from a local police department or sheriff's office? I think that the only thing that really sets us apart is the different styles of training that we do. You know, I think the Colonel or maybe even Sergeant Velez said something about it being a situation where, um, you know, people think that we just write tickets and work wrecks, and we do so much more than that. And so we have a ton of opportunity at a local sheriff's department, at a city department. Your opportunity might be limited. You still you still get to affect service and you get to help people and you, you get to serve. But at the end of the day, we have a lot, a lot of opportunity here at the Highway Patrol. And we support, we support so many organizations between whether it be emergency management organizations, whether it be search and rescue organizations, uh, city, county law enforcement, federal agencies calling us a lot to help do things that, that they need to do. We, we support them in their investigations. Sergeant Finch, she's our, our DARE coordinator for the state, so she oversees all of the DARE education for the whole state. What's your title and everything? Sergeant Casey Fitz. I'm a sergeant with the Highway Patrol, but I'm the state coordinator for DARE, and I work closely with DARE America, which is based out of California. Tell me a little bit about the DARE program today. The D.A.R.E. program today, it went from the 17 curriculum to the 10-week curriculum. We teach, we start off with learning about, you know, being a good citizen. We learn about the dangers of drugs and alcohol, peer pressure, bullying. We learn about how to be a good citizen, how to be respectful and treat people the way you want to be treated. We also give them what's called the D.A.R.E. decision-making model, which is where they learn how to look at a situation and assess it and make a responsible choice and then evaluate that choice that they've made. And they can actually use that model for anything. Peer pressure, if someone offers them alcohol, tobacco, over-the-counter prescription medication, vaping. So we go into all that. And we actually start in pre-K and go all the way to high school. I'm Sergeant Chris Harrison with the Tennessee Highway Patrol Executive Protection Unit. So what do you do or what does your unit do? Our unit takes care of the protection and travels of the Governor, First Lady. We also take care of the Lieutenant Governor and Speaker of the House and Attorney General. We also assist federal and other state agents when other dignitaries come into Tennessee with all their movements and travels as well. What is a normal day like? There's really not a normal day. It changes daily. Some days are a lot busy traveling, and then obviously when sessions end, you know, you have a whole lot more days that are just at the Capitol going through bills and stuff like that. So there's typically not a normal day for us. So if the governor had a meeting in, let's say, Knoxville, and he's in Nashville right now, what would take place? We would take the governor to Knoxville if he had a meeting at Knoxville. And what happens when situations arise where there is a threat of some kind against the governor? What do you do then? It's just going to depend on the threat. But we monitor, we take all threats. CID investigates all threats that are towards the governor. If there is a threat at a particular event we're going to, obviously we're going to disengage from that event until we have it secure or get out of the event until it's secure if, so, if something happens there. Is it common for threats to be made? Fairly common. They're not every day, but we do have threats, obviously. How often do things actually lead to an arrest with the governor on site? Not 
often on site, not often on site. And then the CID agent is who steps in and starts investigating more of, you know, the threat and what it's about, you know, how we got the threat. Does the governor's office handpick those who are around him and does it change with each governor? No, not typically. Uh, and we're hired with Highway Patrol. We go through a process, a uh, hiring process through the Highway Patrol. So it's not the governor's office that, that hires. So when he goes to another state or something, do you go with him? Does the detail go with him? Yes, we do go with him. We travel uh, everywhere the governor and first lady goes. Uh, and typically the same goes into effect. We provide security and assistance to the other states and they do the same for us. Uh, so when we go to another state, obviously that's not our, our home ground and we don't know it near as well. So normally they provide some assistance for us as well. What is your name and title? Vincent Tarosi, Sergeant. They call me Vinny. And what do you do? Uh, so I am the Sumner County Sergeant. I have four outstanding troopers that uh, I supervise, two of them which actually just came out of the last Trooper Academy. Hey, I guess looking back over the years, what are some of the more bizarre, insane things you've seen? Kind of been through a little bit of everything. I started out in Robertson County back in 2000, and of course back then, uh, you know, we would pursue a lot of folks. We, we've kind of had everything from barricaded subjects to hostage situations that shut down the interstate pursuits that went on for two plus hours through two states and seven counties. I've, I've kind of been through a lot on the patrol but I've enjoyed every bit of it. It's the best job I've ever had in my life. Well, no day is the same. Enforcing the laws doesn't actually mean, you know, you write them a ticket, it could be a warning. The biggest thing is affecting change. You know, if we can change that behavior, then we've done what we're supposed to do, and hopefully we've decreased the chance of having a fatal crash or an injury crash. What is the fastest you've been in a pursuit? About 145, 150. It's gotta be kind of nerve wracking. I've had so much training with the department. We even had some high speed vehicle training as well. You're, you're kind of prepared for it, but there's a lot of uh, multitasking that you do when you're at those type of speeds. And of course, if you're in a situation where you feel it's gonna be unsafe for you or others, we always would terminate it. 